This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler, and sitting just over there is Mighty M3, Mark Mubarak. What up? That's a lot of alliteration there. I hope you noticed. <laughs> Nearby is a man who needs no introduction, M1 Gabe Conley. Hello. For, uh, wow, such enthusiasm. <laughs> Hello! First year, Joyce Waba is lighting up the room today. <clears throat> Woo! And I can't say enough about M1 Claire Castaneda. Castaneda. Ca- uh, <laughs> I literally wrote down how to pronounce your name, except that I all I wrote down was your exact name <laughs> without any pronunciation guide. Castaneda. Claire Castaneda, who has joined us for the first time. Uh, Claire, welcome to the show. Top of the morning. You've listened to the show before. I have. Do you plan to uh, to be on the show as often as possible? Um, the question, yeah. the answer is yes. I should say yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> uh, you three, Gabe, Joyce, and Claire, are are uh, M ones. That's correct. Yamala. Yeah. You've been uh, acclimatizing to your new M one lifestyle. Acclimating. Uh, Sorry, you could just say that. Don't be out. a bitch. That was so <laughs> condescending. That was such a condescending. Uh, you I, did you mean? <laughs> I, you know, it's like the Google correct. Uh, <laughs> don't talk down to me, computer. <laughs> it's fine. A climate did. What did I say? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. You said getting used to. I think. Uh, anyway, have you acclimated to your your new lives as uh, M1s? I feel like I'm uh, getting closer. I'm not fully acclimated, I don't think, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely getting closer. Personally. I'm going to vote no <laughs> because Fair. the weather is only getting colder. And mm. being yeah. from California, I am terrified. No, nah, it's look, <laughs> it's not that bad. I don't believe you. It's not that bad. Did people, when, when you came here, people, so when I came to Iowa, I to- said this on the show before, people told me I had to get all kinds of special stuff that would prevent me from freezing solid. Uh, in Iowa. That's not been true. But you're from the East Coast, right? Yeah. I'm from California. That's different. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how you fare. Yeah. Claire, how's it going? It's 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 going. It's happening. Okay. Um, continuing to happen, but yeah. still here. So what's been your most uh, what's been your most horrifying experience? Um, I would probably say Mine probably happened recently. I was in an early uh, early clinical experience, they call it, basically from M1s. To get away from the classes, you know, the hard classes that you're taking, you uh, get out with a physician and you just see patients with them. And I was exercising, like, uh, some of our physical exam skills, vital signs. And I felt, obviously, really good about it because I was a CNA for a while, so I, you know, I feel good about getting basic vital signs. So I went into this uh, patient room and this was an internal medicine um, clinic, so these people are typically pretty, you know, unhealthy relative to what the, the the patients that most doctors see, I guess. And this person couldn't have blood pressure taken from her upper arms for 
I'm not sure why exactly. So I had to manually do a blood pressure reading on the on the forearm, which I had never done before and I'd never studied. So I had really no idea what I was doing. And I was only with a medical assistant for this scenario. So I was basically trying to learn this on the fly without, you know, anyone kind of supervising me. I was with a real patient. So I did it. Did I it just, work? Um, I didn't get I didn't get a reading. So I, I, I think I did the right things. I just didn't um, didn't finish it well. You're not supposed to listen. I tried listening with a stethoscope. You should just try to palpate. <laughs> get a systolic reading that way. So we ended up going with an electronic reading and I didn't get the pressure. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What I like about it is that you you gave it a shot. I mean, you knew this was a thing, right? That, that's possible. You didn't know how to do it, but you thought, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump in and, and give it a shot. What do you think, Mark? As a, from your lofty M3 <laughs> perspective, is that uh, putting yourself out there and trying is eighty percent of the uh, the fight. So the fact that you did that, I think, is right. perfect for a learner. I feel like I took an L in this situation, <laughs> but I do know I took a loss. You know, I oh, took, okay. I I'm took sorry, I, mean, I don't do yeah. sports ball. <laughs> um, but now I know for the future a little bit better. I just wish it wouldn't have been a real patient that I did that with. But it's all right. That's what happens. Do you guys, you guys uh, get to practice these things on uh, standardized or simulated patients? Potentially, right. yes. but yeah. that sounds like something that's not standard. Yeah, we hadn't, we definitely hadn't gone over that. Mm-mm. But I didn't know it was a thing. Nope. Did you guys, when you, uh, when you have interacted with patients, uh, do you, are you terrified at first? I would be terrified. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, you think, because it's kind of a funny experience, is that, you work so hard on the book stuff, but I think you you get used to the fact that you're not always gonna just you know kill the book stuff, and that's an adjustment that you make. So you're like, all right, so book stuff not going as well as I hope, but I still got soft skills. Yeah. And then you just like walk into your first simulated patient, and you just like panic immediately, and you're just like, uh, um, I. And then you're like, can I can I sit down? Can, you're sitting down. Do you want to sit down? And you're like, and then you're like, I'm. And then you're like, you're Claire. And they're like, no, I'm Claire. <laughs> you're a patient. Yeah, right. And they're like, yes. And you want to start over? And I'm like, maybe a little bit. <laughs> so I think that part is kind of, you get used to it. But initially, there's just little things that you don't, you thought you knew how to do. Right. And you thought you knew how to talk to people like another human being. But I think my biggest concern would be visibly sweating. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why that's I don't, because that's in the a- clinics, that's why I don't bike. <laughs> Just showing, like, just covered in sweat. He looks terrified. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's also a big difference between working with simulated patients versus real patients. Definitely. Because with simulated patients, I feel like they have a hidden agenda, and I'm trying to, like, pull it out of them. Yeah. Because we've seen what the papers look like, and so it's like, oh, if asked anything else, then say this. If asked anything else again, then say this. So you know that you have to keep prying stuff out of them. Versus with real patients, I feel like you'll get much bigger variety based on people who will want to tell you their entire life story and Mm -hmm. people who you're going to have to pull teeth out of them sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when I was working with free mobile clinic and working with those patients, I felt a lot more at ease because I didn't feel like they had a hidden agenda. They were legitimately just trying to tell me what was wrong and we were kind of having a conversation working together versus I feel like it's simulated patient versus me a little bit. (laughs) It does kind of feel like that. It's almost contentious. Yeah. What do you think, Mark? Would you I think validate so. that? Yeah, patients, they definitely volunteer. They don't always, but they volunteer info a bit more readily, for sure, compared to the SPs, because it's not that 
well, my guess box is, of did you ask this? But you got to phrase things incredibly different with yeah. real patients. So, well, my guess is that it's sometimes it's not necessarily prying information out of reluctant patients as much as it is getting relevant information from patients mm -hmm. who don't know what's relevant in it. Yeah. Or misunderstand. Uh, some of the stuff that's always a little frustrating is like, you know, have you ever been hospitalized? No. Do you have any medical illnesses? No. What medications do you take? And they wrap off like nine or 10. <laughs> and it's, it's that thing of like learning to ask the question in the right way. It's so like see. my big two is always, have you ever spent the night in the hospital? Have you ever taken pills for more than two weeks? Like that's, that's a actually big really good. Yeah. yeah. Because if you say, do you take medications or anything like that? Like they might just stop on their own of like, well, I didn't need them anymore. So I stopped taking it. Right. And it's like, oh yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> that was a Sorry. do it till you die pill. Well, <laughs> do it till you die. Well, I mean that spending, spending, have you ever spent the night in the hospital is actually a really interesting way to put that because I feel like it would re it would recall for them that experience yeah. of staying the night in the hospital. Whereas if you say, you know, have you ever been hospitalized? It's a little bit more clinical. It's mm -hmm. a little bit less potentially connected to that experience, maybe. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'm full of crap, but I like it. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I'm full of crap. I like it. <laughs> well, uh, well, good. I'm, I'm glad things are proceeding apace for you and that you've joined us here today. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit today about one of the things you learn in medical school is how to deliver bad news. And, you know, of the co-hosts today, of you guys, the Mark, you're the only person who has actually received any instruction on this topic to date. They give us a couple, yeah. Yeah. I think orientation week, you guys will get your first before you go in the clinics and then... Internal med does it as well. Oh, they so, okay. It's a good one-hour session as well. So what do so I imagine that your opportunities to deliver bad news as a medical student, if you want to call it that, the opportunity to deliver bad news. Yeah. But I imagine you don't get a chance to to uh, do that often as a medical student. Um, because you get the opportunity to observe it, and right. then sometimes like you'll kind of move into that. So I was actually just talking to Jack O'Brien, who's on mm -hmm. IM right now, and he, they had him kind of head the conversation multiple times when he was really? there. Yeah. So what, ha what have you learned about delivery? I mean, this sounds easy. You walk into a room, you adopt a, 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 a compassionate expression, and then you tell them, you're done. <laughs> I mean, what, how does this work? It's, I think it's super context dependent. And I think that's the big thing that they really try and express right. to you during the training sessions. So one of the big things I think is, you know, primarily you got to figure out what does the patient know? What does the family know? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to jump in with any assumptions of like, so let's talk about your like liver failure and how that's going to be the issue. And they haven't really totally understood that fact yet. Um, also like with any type of like, you know, cancer diagnosis or something like that, same thing. Cause there's been a couple times where a consult team will come in and just be like, so here's how we're going to deal with your, you know, X, Y, Z cancer. cancer that you didn't know you had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just oh, watching yeah. that like slowly wash over the person's face is just the horror, like the most horrible thing to see. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't sound. And good. it's bad for everyone. I mean, the docs feel terrible about it. Everybody's uncomfortable. Yeah. The patient, you know, you can't, you don't want to leave him there. Like, oops, sorry about that. Let me. <laughs> I mean, this is basically a failure of communication it's between really, one part of the team yeah. and the other, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody told the consult team what was what's been expressed, what's been and, expressed and what. Yeah. Have you seen that a couple of times, Mark? Um, I've seen it like two or three. So, Dang. I mean, two or three more times than it should have. So it's it's super sad, man. Um. So I think that's the biggest thing that they really push in teaching, and I would certainly agree with, is you got to figure out what the patient knows before you start wrapping off any part of discussion. And it's, it's also to your benefit, too, if there's multiple people, because that group might not be all on the same page. Multiple people? Well, like, you know, a husband and wife, oh, sure. or kids just flew in because, mm-hmm. you know, grandma's not well, and they have no idea how serious something is. It kind of lets everybody get on the same page before you dive in. I was looking up this topic, um, as one does on the internet, and the American <laughs> Foundation of Pediatric Family Medicine Practitioners Association, I don't even remember where it was, but anyway, they had this, yeah, because, you know, it's my jo- it's not my job to research things before the show starts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, they had this ABCDE mnemonic for uh, for how to deliver bad news and basically you know a is advanced preparation you know arrange for time and privacy um you know review review you know the information that you need to know to to deliver to the patient you know what's the clinical picture all that kind of stuff rehearse prepare yourself emotionally whoa whoa, whoa, wait this is, this is just A. Oh, okay. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, this is right. not following the alphabet that I learned. <laughs> yeah. This is just A, advanced preparation. Okay. And then you B is build a therapeutic environment and relationship. So, you know, like you said, determine how much the patient knows at this point. Um, have the family present. Introduce yourself. You know, basic, you know, things that you might want to do in a, in a regular conversation. Warn the patient that bad news is coming. Use touch when appropriate schedule follow-up appointments. Uh, communicate well. That's C. Ask what the patient or family already knows. Be frank but compassionate. Avoid euphemisms and medical jargon. Uh, allow for silence and tears. Uh, proceed at the patient's pace. Have the patient describe his or her understanding of the news. Hmm. Um, so basically having them repeat back to you, mm-hmm. basic communication skill, um, allow time to answer questions, conclude with a summary and a follow-up plan, deal with patient and family reactions, which it's a bad time. Nobody is going to react particularly well. Mm-hmm. One shouldn't expect that anyway. Uh, don't argue with or criticize colleagues is an interesting <laughs> addition to that. Um, Encourage and validate emotions. Explore what the news means to the patient. Offer realistic hope. Uh, if you can't, you know, off, offer realistic hope, I think, realistic. is the is the message there. Uh, and use interdisciplinary sources. So that is the ABCDE mnemonic. Sounds like that wasn't officially part of your... I think it... So I feel like parts of that... I feel like it was at some point. Yeah. Because that sounds super familiar. Yeah. Well, you've but internalized I didn't, it. You know. Yeah, I didn't like, we'll just assume memorize that. Mnemonic that. <laughs> <laughs> to use it. Conversations are dynamic. Okay. Well, I think I think things like that are helpful for people who I think the, things like that are helpful for anybody. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're especially helpful for people who are nervous about the whole situation. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like people who are super, super chill, as I think you would describe yourself in exactly those words, Mr. California. <laughs> I'm not um, the only Californian here. I know. Hey, Watch yourself. I know. But, um, maybe you don't need that. that no, I'm not. Job. No, I, I think everybody, like you said, can benefit from it, myself included, because it's not something you want to, uh, you know, criticizing myself. It's not something you want to be blase about or just kind of wing it because it's something Absolutely. that the patient's going to remember forever. So although... I might leave the room saying, ah, that didn't go ideal onto the next part of my life. That's something that might be burned in their memory. <laughs> or forever. worse, you leave the room going, I did pretty well. And the patients are <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, that'd be completely shattered and has no idea what's horrible. going on. So I, I agree with you. I think it's definitely good to keep those principles in mind. I do- think the whole concept of breaking bad news to people, to me, is at least terrifying. I think the number one comment I've gotten from all my simulated patient interviews and all that from my facilitator has been that I'm too happy of a person. And so... Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, so being be able... brutal. Yeah, so I mean, if I'm breaking bad news, obviously, it takes... Like, I'm not saying that I'm not empathetic, per se, but I don't know how I would handle a situation like that, because I haven't been placed in a situation where it's you're trying to deliver bad news. So, I don't know. That just seems terrifying. Mm-hmm. Do you think in hindsight it would be better to teach people earlier this skill? Uh, I think they do it at a good time here okay. at Carver because you get it twice. Mm-hmm. So before you go to the clinics full time, you're getting a solid, I think it's like two lectures mm-hmm. in math, like as a group. Um, I don't like using the word in mass since we have that mass oh, yeah. actual class. <laughs> Medical um, medicine and society. But you break up in small groups and I mean you observe your, I think the thing that they do best is you observe your peers. Mm-hmm. So there's, yeah. you can see five or six of your people just like you and their style and kind of cherry pick of like, I like how they do that. Cause one thing I think I'm good at verbal communication. I'm good at like expressive and visual, like showing that I'm involved, but touch for me is not a natural thing for me to go out and do. Mm-hmm. So watching how peers do that was super helpful for me. Mm. Um, so explain a little bit more about that. What, what touch in particular? Yeah. Or yeah. Just, so, I mean, <sighs> I just, I think I'm just not a very physical individual. I don't, it's not super comforting to me. So it's not like my initial impulse to reach out and touch somebody. Um, but you've learned that like maybe uh, touching the hand or something or the shoulder or what? what? Um, so things that I can think of that I do now that I definitely wouldn't have done before mm-hmm. seeing other people is, yeah, moving in close. When there's silence, like being available for the person, like in their space like you don't want to crowd them of course but the idea of like i want to be close to you i don't want to stay super detached so i can bring you tissues i can sit near you and just be silent and then if there's what i've noticed is most patients will have like body language that is very receptive to like you know grabbing my hand right now is very okay Uh or if you put your hand out that's the thing that i've noticed is like just putting your hands on the table People sometimes just reach for it. Hmm. And that's, I just, that's not a natural position for me. Interesting. But it's little things like that that I would have never done unless we had that opportunity to. We're outside of the room, there's a camera in there, and we're watching our peers, mm-hmm. and you see them do it so effectively, and you're like, that's fantastic. I'm going to try and incorporate that. Okay. First time was uh, observing that we were kind of, it was a patient that we had on internal medicine that had hepatitis B that was non-English speaking. We had to use the uh, cryophone, the blue phones, which is a horror. It's just a translator, basically. So you oh. pick up a you know phone receiver, and they have one in their hand. 
Oh. And there's someone translating. Oh. So, you know, you're in a room. And it's called a what? It's cryophone. C-R-Y-A phone. They no. have a better name, I think. I, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, maybe it's a, it's a blue phone, too. Brand, is that a brand um, name? Yeah, it is. <laughs> this is the phone into which you cry. Yeah, exactly, right. Um, but yeah, trying to give bad news through a translator is also not a great way to do it. Mm. Um, so it was a person that had hep B and then subsequently had uh, hepatocellular carcinoma mm. that had metastasized. Mm-hmm. And it was just a bad, you know, really bad situation. This guy was working four weeks prior totally fine Mm -hmm. and is now not doing well at all um so just like trying to build i think that was the big thing too is like how am i going to build like a comfortable conversation relationship with this person where every conversation is mediated through someone on a phone so that was super tough um it went interesting i mean it, it it went Okay. And it was one of those things of just kind of talking and asking. And that was one of the big ones was like, uh, I think with the preparation that you were saying was, I remember we went in there and before that really pushing through the translator of like, if you have family, they should come like, please bring your family. We, uh, you know, are doing some results that we've already kind of primed them on the possibilities, but we would like everybody here so we can discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was super super helpful and really helped at least since we couldn't provide that conversation and empathy directly in that moment if there was a lot of you know because you know he started speaking in his own language and you know processing the news we were giving him he has family there that can also help wow that sounds crazy how did it work with you as the medical student in that situation um so with that we had a discussion before and that was the big thing was the attending since it's i mean Using those translators takes super long. It draws out that to like a one hour. I mean, every conversation is just super long. Um, so I went in and had a couple conversations before uh, with like clear instruction of like, don't give the results yet. Don't do that. Just prep everything. And then we'll come in as a team and discuss. So that was good communication in my part. Mm. I mean, in my mind. Prepping as in what then? The idea of like who is going to give this news, okay. how are mm-hmm. we going to do it, and when? Because you get the results, you know, randomly throughout the day on inpatient medicine. Um, so I had seen it with the resident, and you know, we didn't just bound in there and tell him the second we got it. It was more like well, let's call the attending and, and this, actually have a plan. Right. And this was knowing options. that you're going to be going through the translator and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You you knew that you needed to have stuff. Ready to go. Lined up, ready to go, exactly. a plan in place. Exactly. You couldn't, couldn't quite do it with the same level of spontaneity that you might otherwise mm-hmm. do it. Well, that was an answer I didn't expect as a time when you would give bad news that you would have this additional layer of complexity. Yeah. Really interesting. In the pediatric interest group, we got a pediatric oncologist to come and speak to us. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. And so one of the questions I asked him, I was simple question. I was like, what's the favorite part of what's your favorite part of your job? And his response was telling people that their kids have cancer. And we all kind of froze for a second. We're like, what is this guy saying? Yeah. Like, it got really awkward Some in the room. He's like, sociopath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of took a second and he's like, no, 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 let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and basically the point of view, he was kind of, he basically he was saying he likes it because there's no other relationship you can form like that. 
of telling someone that their kid has cancer, but the follow-up to that is all the potential treatment and options that you can, like, different, I don't know, diagnoses and whatnot that they can actually implement. Hmm. Um, so he was saying that relationship is, like, the initial step in that relationship of being together with their family and everything um, is very unique. Well, it's a tre- must be. It's a tremendously intimate yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, nobody, I guess nobody starts out wanting to have that sort of intimate intimacy with, (laughs) with, with anybody, but, um, I can see how that would be among the more interesting components of one's work. I bet rewarding Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. I bet there's huge, a sense of like, I was there in the moment. Right. Super rewarding. Mm -hmm. If you do a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. This is very true. That's yeah. inter- That's an interesting thing. A favorite part of the job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would. I'm. I'm sorry. I don't know that I would ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd think it'd be like a favorite part of the job is watching a you know patient leave or something. A- maybe yeah. after. Tell them they're in remission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh well. Ah uh, well. To each his own. <laughs> if you want to get into medical school these days, you're going to have to get interesting. There, uh, U.S. News and World Reports uh, had an article yesterday that I found. Their list of top 10 medical schools for primary care um, for reports that the average number of applicants has more than doubled in the last decade. Um, so if you're a primary care, if you're a school that focuses on primary care, you are fielding twice as many applicants as you were a decade ago. Schools who U.S. News described as top 10 in research have increased about one and a half times. And if you exclude the top 10 in those two categories of research in primary care, it looks like they're up by 1.6 times for Mm. research and one and a half times in primary care. So you're now having to work that much harder to uh, get the attention of an admissions or an interview committee. Um, Any advice for these uh, for these applicants, people who have actually gotten into medical school, I would say first and foremost, I feel so thankful that I'm not in that dreaded pool <laughs> anymore. Amen. That, that was a, right. just a brutal, brutal <laughs> process. That's an interesting yeah. world. My heart goes out to you folks listening who are in that. <laughs> well, you were in that. I yeah. mean, let's face it, you guys were in that. <laughs> oh, I was. You yeah, were in yeah, that yeah. pool. Yeah. I mean, I very even much was. even Horrible. at <laughs> at CCOM, you know, we're right there on that. On that statistics, uh, mm-hmm. on that statistic, uh, one one and a half times uh, increase in applicants. Um, the greatest increase was from non-residents, right? Um, but still, it's just more competitive. Did you guys decide on things to make you interesting, <laughs> or did you just were you just interesting people? I definitely wanted. I mean, I understood the checkbox. I don't want to call it a game, but it is kind of a game. It's kind of a checkbox game that all pre-meds must play to, you know, ensure better statistical chances of getting in. I um, I knew that biology was a major thing that people did, to, and I and I felt like a lot of people majored in biology simply because they wanted to go to medical school, mm-hmm. and uh, that wasn't me. I could have done that and been less happy, so I decided to go into economics, and I was happier that way, and I, I want to get an MBA as well, and so I kind of nurtured a, a real interest I have in business, but... I think I, I, I'm a believer that if you do what you actually want to do, it'll make you more interesting if you're going to talk to someone about what you mm-hmm. do. So you should really do you shouldn't do things because you think it'll make you more interesting. You should do things that you actually have some interest in and that should make you interesting 
relative to you just doing things that you think people want you or expect you to do. I agree with that. And I, I actually, I hated during the application process, that whole part where you had to also be kind of interesting. <laughs> so I was like, I did everything you asked. And now you're just giving me this nebulous, like also be kind of interesting at the same time. And I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> I was like, am I supposed to like, here's my one random thing. And, um, I do agree with Gabe. You have to, you have to pick those things that you like to do because if you're lucky enough to get in, those things are actually what has kept me going right. in some respects too. Mm -hmm. Like, I love reading, I love writing, those things are cool. Um, my interesting thing was that, I think, was that I was biomedical engineering, which already wasn't that interesting to begin with, but I had this story uh, that I like to tell, and it's too long for this moment, but I molded my own butt in silicone for um, my like right. capstone engineering project. I don't, think, I don't think this is too. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this is too long a story. I'd like to hear, to hear more about this. <laughs> so our project. <laughs> <laughs> so it's through UIHC and I had these great mentors in uh, pediatric radiology and they're talking about how um, in a condition called intussusception, the end of your uh, small intestine will like they call it telescoping or like folding a sock into the beginning of your large intestine causes a bowel obstruction and it's very uncomfortable and it's usually in babies almost always in babies and they reduce it with um, basically just air pressure and they do that via an air enema so long story short the process is crazy to watch on YouTube and not fun for anyone involved because it involves an air enema and a baby and those mm -hmm. two things are usually don't like each other. You really can find anything on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you really can. And so we were making a device to make that a little bit better, but we needed um, we needed to do proof of concept and we needed a butt. Um, hey, you had one of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Since ethics was fresh out of baby butts for us to use, <laughs> we needed to get one or make one. And so initially what we decided was we'll just make one. And we had plenty of silicone. And, and uh, I remember... <laughs> You brought the butt. <laughs> yeah, I remember the four of us were sitting around, and we all just realized that we needed to do this. And then someone was like, "All right, so we need to we need to make a butt mold." And all of us just sat there quietly. And I was, and someone was like, "Who's gonna do this?" And then I looked around, and I was like, "Is no one gonna take advantage of this amazing opportunity?" Like, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I will. <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> so, so yeah, I did that in my apartment. Um, what was unfortunate was okay. It's we might get a little graphic. I, I don't care. We have an E rating. So, <laughs> so if you're going to mold your butt, like you can't be wearing anything. So, but you also don't want things where you don't want them. So what ended up happening on my lower body was like a saran wrap singlet. And I did this in my apartment. Um, my One of my roommates helped me. We were very close, but we... Uh, Apparently. <laughs> we did it while our other I don't roommate. think I've ever been that close to roommate. <laughs> how, did you, how did you ask your roommate? Um, I, was, I came I home. Thing. <laughs> if it were me, I would be like, I got to make yeah. him hold my butt. You're helping. <laughs> I blew through the door. I was like, guess what we're doing right now? <laughs> and she's like, I explained the whole thing. She's like, absolutely. Totally on this. board. Um, and so anyway, we were in the kitchen, and then our other roommate was at work, and so we're doing this and it actually it took probably I think if you did it right which was like 12 to 15 minutes to set and so I had to hold like a crab walk position like my Ooh. butt couldn't touch the bottom of the tub I was sitting in or else you'd get you wouldn't get silicone down there so it was actually like a pretty arduous little process yeah. um and um 
I didn't set the silicone right and I sat in there for 20 minutes just to be sure because I knew it was like a little too uh, watery and then it didn't set right so we had to do it again and um, what happened was we, for, we we didn't realize no one knew that our other roommate was going to come home early oh, God. from work <laughs> and she came through the door and she's uh, also she was kind of weird about nudity loved her to death but like she was one of those people that just didn't like to see other people naked didn't we didn't walk around in sports bras even around her and she comes through the door and i panic and what i did in my panic was the exact wrong thing which was scream don't come in the kitchen (laughs) which was right on the other side of the door and she said why and then she took one step and saw me naked from the waist down in a tub of silicone and i said i can't move right now but i will explain later (laughs) that's awesome Um, Wowzers. And what was really fun, too, is that I volunteered in the same office she worked in. So I came in the next day. They're like, so what was going on with you last night that we all heard about? And I was like, let me tell you a story. There's a second part of this story, which I'll save maybe for another, maybe another show. Maybe I'll commit to another show. But the story of when we we needed a new butt because um, the silicone that we used for my butt was too firm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Property of the butt. Just kidding. That was property of the silicone. (laughs) And so we needed a softer butt. um, And we couldn't figure out where to get one or where we would get silicone. And then our professor suggests that we go to Romantics, the local adult toy store in town, to get a butt. And I went to Catholic school. I'd never been to a sex store or anything. And so I got to go in there. I didn't realize the extent of the butt mold market the bar the prosthetic butt market and that was fun it's booming it's booming it's booming you can get anything anywhere please tell me you told all your interviewees this (laughs) (laughs) every single medical school needs to know this your fun fact and i'm like you got five minutes (laughs) but yeah that was so that was what made me interesting and really things that you never think of (laughs) right that need doing in medicine. Yeah. And we actually won our category, too, which was cool. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Happy ending. <laughs> strange, strange person. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> We're going to play a game about delivering bad news. Now, I I know. It's it's, it's a little... Really a game-worthy uh, it's a little, activity. It's a little tacky. Uh, but, you know... It combines two of my loves, which is learning more about what you guys do day to day and artificial intelligence. So let me just give you a little background on AI that as I understand it, artificial intelligence and neural networks are a big thing uh, in technology these days. Everybody's rushing to understand how they're best used in many situations, including medicine. And I mean, you can't, I don't know, you can't swing a dead hard drive these days without hitting someone hyping their AI driven startup devoted to <laughs> recommending the best cologne for your dog or the latest neural network enabled juicer or whatever. And there are plenty of worries about what AI will do to our world. And there are, so there are also people just fooling around with it though, including Janelle Shane, who runs the website AIWeirdness.com. Just for fun, Miss Shane uh, takes neural networks and trains them on various sets of data um, from Halloween costume names or the first sentences of novels. And then she uses them to suggest new versions of those things. Um, she doesn't guide the training. She just provides them with the data set and lets them do whatever it is they do and out comes the results. She also happens to have done this with the names of diseases. And while reading this list of new diseases her computer came up with, I realized this is the perfect opportunity to put on my ever-so-valuable medical educator hat Mm -hmm. 
and <laughs> use the names to give you guys a chance to practice delivering bad news to your patients. Mm. Oh God, <laughs> no. <laughs> You you want this is you need to do this. This is important for your education. That's right. That's right. <laughs> is it too late to opt out? <laughs> Here's how, no. I mean yes. <laughs> Here's how this will work. You'll each take turns playing the role of the doctor or the patient. Uh, I have here pieces of paper with a disease name written on it, generated by the neural network. Before we begin, you will pick one of them at random, and only you will look at it. The doctor. Uh, you will then walk into the exam room metaphorically speaking, to deliver to your patient the bad news their, your, their tests have revealed. The trick is, of course, that you're going to then tell the patient about it, about this disease, and devise a management strategy that you intend to use. Everybody clear on how this will work? I think so. To preserve the realistic nature of the simulation, you will, of course, act uh, in the way that you would act as a doctor or a patient, however you suppose that might be, according to what you've learned today, perhaps. Mm. Mark looks. Mark looks like. Mark. Mark. It looks very skeptical. ABC. Do you have Do you have reservations about this, Mark? That you want to? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> I want to talk about a mission some more. <laughs> well, we don't have time. Um, all right. Here we go. Mark, uh, since you have experience delivering bad news, just pick one from among these things. Ah, not going to go with that It'll one. be a little see-through if you're not careful, so don't, you know. Oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and you, Claire, will be the patient. Okay. I'm ready. All Doctor. Right. <clears throat> go. Hey, Claire, how are you doing? Is now a good time to talk? I, I guess so. On, on a live radio stream. I know, it's perfect. Sure. Do you have any, any family with you here? Uh, are we, wait, is this, in, wait, time out. <laughs> <laughs> Line. Um, are we, is this inpatient? Are we in the clinics? I feel like, I think you gotta paint a picture for me, Dave. Oh, okay. Um, are we? I feel like, let, well, it, do you do you need that information? Oh yeah, no, it's fine. Okay, uh, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just stalling. I never considered. I, I'm trying. I'm gonna have to explain what this is. I'm still not sure. How to go down that All right, um, let's start right back in. Um, I got some bad news, Claire. Okay. You got poison, poison tissues. <laughs> poison, poison tissues. Yes. That's I'm sure. You, I'm sure you're familiar with poison, poison tissues. It's all the rave in the news. Is nowadays. it worse than poison tissues? It is. It's twice as bad. It's twice. Oh my god. Yes. But it's gonna be okay. <laughs> it's uh, a lot less devastating than poison, poison, poison tissues. That so that is good to hear. We'll be able to treat it. Is there a chance I'll develop poison, poison, poison tissues in the future? <sighs> you know, it's too too early to say. I'm assuming it's all tissues as well. Uh, you know, that's the sad, <laughs> the sad thing about poison, poison tissues. It was really poorly named, and uh, it actually affects everything in your body, from bones to tissue, of course. <laughs> of course, tissue. <laughs> to even what you poop out. It's just, <laughs> just as contagious. So uh, we're going to need you to, you know, really, really be a... Uh, Careful with not spreading your poison poison tissue to <laughs> those around you. 
don't know how to deal with this information. It's okay. I know it's tough stuff, so we're going <laughs> to sit here in silence while you process that. <laughs> and very good. Scene. Very good. End scene. End scene. Uh, Claire, how did you, would you evaluate, how would you evaluate Mark's uh, delivery of the bad news that you have poison, poison? <laughs> I think he was a, a big ball of empathy. He, was... he should have studied more. In the <laughs> I don't think he knew what poison poison juice was at all. <laughs> he did a really, he did a really good job of explaining the difference between poison tissues and poison 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 tissues. And what I had, if you don't recall, poison poison tissues. Right. Uh, I, that's, that's the what one, most people know it. That's the one that I was hoping we would. You know, I have like 16 of these or 12 or whatever in my hand. That's the one I was really hoping we would get to. <laughs> <laughs> You're um, hoping that I got poison, poison tissue? Yeah. Well, it's also spelled funny, too, which made me laugh. Uh, I don't know why. The show, you can show them how it's spelled, but it's basically T-I-S-H-U-E-S. <laughs> oh, no. So, for some reason, some reason that made me laugh. Adds another layer. Reminds me of the uh, Office episode with Count Choculitis. <laughs> 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 oh, all right. Uh, well, since you uh, were the patient, you get to go next. Oh, okay. Claire. Remember, don't show the others. Okay. This is for Joyce. Oh, God. Joyce. Yes? I know you're waiting for some news for me, so I'm going to get straight to it. Okay. It's, you have what's called sexuroma ear. <laughs> oh. Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, soma ear. I apologize. I'm a medical student. Look again. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I don't know if you've heard of soma ear. Unfortunately, I have not. Can you tell me more about it? Uh, I. That's not, <laughs> that's not a typical reaction. Do tell, doctor. Do tell. <laughs> All right. Actually, you, have, you don't know that it's terrible news. So I'm, yeah, I apologize. It sounds fine to me, right? Oh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's not. Oh, honey, no. It's real bad. It's real bad. Uh, <laughs> sexurosoma ear. Um, I'm an M1, so I really only know about diabetes and lactic acidosis. But uh, from what I know, uh, it involves sex that you may or may not have. May, may, you might have had some. I don't know. It's in your ear. <laughs> And it's bad, and wow, I am not going to be good at. Wow, okay, <clears throat> you might die. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> it's okay to not know how. I'm here. Oh, thanks for touching my knee. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a gesture of empathy. So I'm here. <laughs> I appreciate the empathy. Yes. Always, always call out what you're doing. I will now empathize with you by touching your knee. Uh, take as much time as you need. I'll, I'll wait patiently. If you have any questions, I'll wait patiently. <laughs> All right, I think that's <laughs> that was that was enough. I think that's fine, Uncle. Uh, oh, Mark, any critique you'd like to offer? I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> yes. All right. Just waiting for somebody to do the uh, make it worse than it is and then soften the blow of reality. <laughs> oh, is that a You know what I mean? Is that a You're technique? dying in three hours. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 24 you hours. Days. Just yeah. buying you eight times as much. <laughs> All right. Here we go. 
Joyce? Okay. Uh, so Gabe's my patient? Mm-hmm. Hi, Gabe. Doc, tell me good news, please. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to talk through this, if that's okay. Okay. All right. So do you have any family here today? Anyone to support you or anything? Um... I haven't had family around in years. Oh, okay. Well, it'll be me and you today, okay? Let's talk this out. So, due to your um, recent activities on the farm and <laughs> with various animals, yeah. um, you unfortunately have contracted bull cancer, spicy ace. <laughs> and so... <sighs> Cancer? Are, are you are you familiar with bull cancer in particular? I think I, <laughs> I, I think I saw something in the news. I mean, it's all over the news right now. If you look up any news source, it's on there for sure. So, I mean, you've been hanging out with too many bulls, and one of them had bull cancer, and the other one had bull cancer and a lot of spices, and so one of them did look funny. <laughs> yeah, one of them did look funny. Yeah. So, I mean, how how did you deal with that? <laughs> The bull needed fed, didn't he? I mean, yeah, potentially. That was my job. Yeah. Know. So you feeling all right now? Oh, <laughs> just jumping right to the end. <laughs> good, good talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked some of the bulls had cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I just took it one step at a time. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think it's uh, pronounced properly bull species. Bull Although I initially spizies. read it as spiziace, spiziace, bull cancer spiziace. I like spiciace a lot. Yeah, I like it. I like spicy food, so that's <laughs> what I kind of went with. It's a, let's see, bull cancer spiciace. It's a cancer from a deficient enzyme. Mm. <laughs> right, that's what that sounds like. To yeah. Me. Okay. Can't uh, have beef. You can't process it. Gabe. Yes, Doctor Gabe. Your turn. Mark is your patient. Um, hey, Mark. Hey, Doc. Give it to me straight. I know you got news for me. Yeah, I do. I know you've been waiting a little bit. Oh, um, boy. So the, the labs did come back on you. I'm ready. And so, it, unfortunately, it does look like you have what's called ankle bladders. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Okay. So I'm glad this isn't much Exactly of what I was afraid of. Uh. Okay. So I guess um, and this could be deadly, but might not be, depending on how fast we act. Okay, what do we need to do? Do we got to take the bladders out? The bladders have to come can I, out. Can I keep any of them? Can I keep my, my other bladders? <laughs> All bladders in your body have to come out. Oh, boy. Gallbladder, oh. everything. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that yeah, one. Yeah. I, love my, I love my gallbladder. Most people don't. <laughs> and you've got to, this has to happen very soon. Okay. I just got one question, Doc. What is it? Are my bladders turning into ankles or my ankles turning into bladders? <laughs> <laughs> well, from my from my understanding, your ankles are turning into bladders. Oh boy! But the bladders you currently have could turn into ankles if we don't, <laughs> if we don't act. But that's secondary. I trust you, Doc. Do what you gotta do. Do you have insurance? No. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh. All right, Mark. We'll go top again. Why don't we reverse direction? You can be yeah. uh, you can be Gabe's doc. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's got to be bad news. 
I well, <laughs> I feel like this one can go both ways. All right, <laughs> all right. Hey, Gabe. I don't I, think you want. I don't think you want to assume it's going to be good news. Okay. Well, I'm not too. Yeah. I'll just let him know. Okay. How you doing, Gabe? Hey, Mark. I got Doctor Mark. Thank you. We got the uh, we got the scans back. Thank God. All the imaging. Uh, you know, there's. It's interesting. Yeah. What we found. Uh, what do you mean? Well, have you ever heard of uh, familial hysterectomies before? I believe I have. <laughs> okay, yeah. This so is a knowledgeable uh, patient fool. <laughs> it's kind of a miracle that you're here, you know. Uh, That's what I have? <laughs> well, no, it's actually what your, uh, your, your mother had, but yeah. through some miracle, you, you, uh, you did fine, and you're okay, and somehow you were born, and no problems, so... We're real glad about that. Um, so this is good. It's it is it is a Seems good thing. Good. Yeah, not so much for your parents. They weren't so excited about having you. But right. <laughs> but you're here. I've you're here some, and you're doing well. Some conversations need That's to be really had good. now. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> How did this happen? So you're really a medical miracle. I'm gonna make my career writing about yeah. you. <laughs> so I gotta thank you for that, Gabe. Well, thank you, Doctor. Yeah. Sorry, you weren't supposed to exist. <laughs> I was totally not picturing that direction. I don't know why. I didn't know where to go. How do I explain this? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would make sense if it was towards either me or Claire, but to Gabe, it was priceless. That was awesome. Wouldn't have had it any other way. All right, Gabe. Choose your weapon. Oops. There we go. Hey, Joyce? Yep. Hey, I'm Gabe. I'm a medical student. Um... Yeah, I know you've been waiting on results here. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into it, okay? Okay, that's fine. Um, take a seat, please. Okay. I'm seated, but okay. <laughs> you Stand, are seated. Stand up. Sit back down. <laughs> yeah. From what I'm seeing here, it looks like... Wait, can we actually stand up, though? Is that fine? <laughs> no. Okay, fine. Stay seated, please. Okay. okay. As I was saying, Joyce... Um, You've got what's called R.I.P. syndrome. Okay. Uh, rip, rip syndrome, as it's otherwise known. But um, it is it is serious. I'm not going to lie to you. It is serious. The outcome isn't usually good. Can I can I ask a question? <laughs> yes. What what does rip stand for exactly? It does stand for rest in peace. Oh. <laughs> for a reason. It's not good. <laughs> Rest, rest in peace is in like one piece, two pieces, three pieces. What are we talking about here? Means you under the ground. Oh. Resting in peace. Oh. That's kind of where that comes from. <laughs> okay. It doesn't have to be that case. That's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> Fun facts, my game. <laughs> it's autosomal recessive. Oh. Nice. <laughs> Both of your parents were carriers. Oh. What about my kids? I don't know that you'll live long enough to have any. <laughs> okay. Dun, dun, dun. All right. That, that does remind me of, like, the unfortunate naming of a lot of genes. Right. When they were discovering them in flies and Drosophila <clears throat> and stuff. Yeah. Because, you know, they weren't totally sure what they were tied to. So you have things like, uh, I know there's, I'm, the one I remember really well is the turnip head gene. There's a big movement to change them because as we correlate them to a lot of findings now, it's really uncomfortable to sit with a family and deliver bad news. Oh, yeah. And you get 
deeper and deeper into it and you say well your child's you know going to be born and not viable and this is that turns out there was a gene malformation that runs in your family it's, it's called turnip turnip head gene like <laughs> oh dear yeah. yeah and there's a pretty That's significant a amount of like problem. absurd i remember like the first time i took genetics <laughs> sitting down and looking up all the wild names of genes isn't sonic the hedgehog and sonic hedgehogs a super big pretty one. Yeah. serious mm-hmm. there's a uh poor metabolism of alcohol gene cheap date there's tons of just oddly chosen names that chosen <laughs> chosen by scientists in bars right. <laughs> sitting around bored trying to find an easy what way the hell to are we gonna it. call this cheap date all right i love this one they won't be mad about this one. All right, Joyce, it's your turn. Look over your chosen condition. <laughs> okay. Does my condition make you laugh, Doctor? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Claire, um, I'm going to have to talk to you about something. Is that okay with you? Mm-hmm. So you know how you've been going out a lot of Friday nights and um, hanging out mm. with certain types of people and all that? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. I'm glad yes. you I'm glad you understand. So you, types. you have this condition called excessive woot sweating. So <laughs> excessive <laughs> what sweating? Excessive woot sweating. So when oh. you go to these bars and whatnot and you hit the dance floor, you <laughs> you <laughs> automatically just gonna go woot woot. And so that just really gets you going and gets you sweating and it's not very good. Your friends are good. <laughs> They say as soon as you get on the dance floor, it starts happening. They can smell you. They can see you. And unfortunately, there's currently no cure. So you might have to give up dancing. I'm sorry. I have to give up dancing? Yes. For your I'm own... sorry. I need a second. For your own, <laughs> for your own social well-being. All dancing or only dancing that involves arms overhead? Any dancing that would make you want to go woot. Any dancing that makes me want to go. What about um, the li- what about only, free food? Only engage in the less enjoyable dance. <laughs> <laughs> or the other option is to dance when nobody's watching, oh. or in the shower, because that can help. And sweat alone. Exactly. But woot alone. It, oh my God. <laughs> Laugh like nobody's listening. <laughs> nice. Uh, will other things that make me woot also induce? Excessive woot syndrome. That that is a sweating. Fan, that is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you asked. And the the answer is yes. Yes, it will. So anything and uh, any woots whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> Stranger Things season two release date. That's why I oh. was so sweaty. <laughs> it all makes sense now, right? Oh my god. Are you are, are you? Do you feel like you need to woot right now? I I do. <laughs> Just a little. I'm sorry. Fancy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> all right, Mark. Last one. <clears throat> I'm wait wait am I patient or I'm sorry okay Claire last one I think we're better patient than than Doc yeah I thought you did fine (laughs) just need a moment to collect myself do your research yeah do my research I don't remember what the B was advanced Advanced preparation advanced preparation yeah come in hi Mark I'm Claire I'm a first year medical student hi Claire um how are you doing today I'm doing okay. Okay. You know that we're probably, you're expecting a diagnosis. A L- little anxious, yeah, ready to hear the news. All right, then we won't, we won't beat around the bush too much. Um, you have what's called vaginal defection. 
Defection? Defection. 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 Um, <laughs> unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, all vaginas in your family have defected. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't know where they are. <laughs> and your daughter's vaginas, should you choose to have children, will also defect. <laughs> That's the long and the short of it. This is... It's just a lot of news. Sorry, I got. I know, I know, I know. I got it. it. Is that is that WebMD on on your phone? Did you did you just look this up before coming in? Uh, I, I 100% did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a pretty good chance based on that. By by the way, that you have cancer. I don't know why, oh, but <laughs> I don't know if I want to live in this world with with these things. So. Hold on. Hold on. Is there treatment? We can do that. We can. There's. So, there's options. Uh, it's unfortunate it's not treatable. Uh, what vaginas have defected? It's manageable. It's manageable. <laughs> <laughs> Once a vagina is defected, we can't get it. We, it can't come back. There's no repatriation. <laughs> <laughs> we think they're. We think we know where they are, but you can't speak to them. They're wooting. They're wooting. <laughs> they're sweating and wooting somewhere. Probably somewhere cold like Russia. We suspect. <laughs> How'd they get well, there? I, I appreciate your candor. <laughs> Genetically. <laughs> what questions do you have? Um, you know, I think uh, I think I just got to sit with this news for a while. Absolutely. Take your time. Was there any way to prevent it? I think is my only question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's not a question for me, um, but there was a section on WebMD, I think, that might have covered that. So that's a question for WebMD. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was in the subscription part, so nobody knows the answer. <laughs> I am not making an account. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, t- I'm lightheaded now. Well done. Well done, people. Yeah, I can't imagine that that would go any better than what you guys did. That is our show. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. And thank you, listeners, for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes. This, along with posting about us on FaceSpace or MySpot or Twibbler or NowPix, will help (laughs) us grow the show. Plus, you can talk about just about anything you like in our Facebook group, The Short Coats Student Lounge. And you can always send us your thoughts, questions, comments concerns to the shortcoats at gmail.com or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.